Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Hi everyone. How are you doing? Are you winning, eh? I'm glad. You won. Oh, you won the World Cup. I forgot about that. Hey, that day eh, was a beautiful day. Honestly, I was so blessed with that day. Because that was the first time I ever saw in this country people of every color, if I use the word color because it matters in this country, everyone was happy. I've never seen something like that. You know, even just looking at the videos when the players arrived in the country, how everyone went and just rejoiced over them. And I actually saw a guy, a preacher in a French-speaking country that was sharing around Siakolisi. So it's very interesting to see just like even the world just witnessing what God has done. And I think for us as believers, it's very important that we don't miss what God is doing. I think the biggest, I think for me when I read the Gospels, the one thing that I think was the worst thing that the Pharisee did was the fact that they, they struggled to recognize what God was busy doing during the time when Jesus was born. What is even interesting is that when Jesus was born, the Bible says that there were these wise men, which were foreigners, who were not necessarily Jews, they were not necessarily, I don't know if they were worshipping God. There is a lot of theories around them. Some people say, no, they might have been people that were under the same school of thought that Daniel had in terms of Babylon and all that. I don't know if that's true or not. But the thing is, they were foreigners, they were not necessarily typically in theory worshippers. But these people, they came because they saw a star and they recognized that this star probably speaks of a birth of a king. And they went to see, you know, the political leaders and even, they even sent them to the priest. But none of the priests took even an interest because they went to find out, well, will the Messiah be born? They said, well, in Bethlehem. And I think, in theory, if they were waiting, because until today, they still pray and cry out. For I've seen a video in Israel, uh, in that wall, the mantation wall there, where they constantly pray and ask for the Messiah to come. I'm pretty sure they did it back then even more. But none of them was even able, had even an interest to go and actually find out where the baby was. Because these people were going to worship the one who was the Messiah for Israel. So it is possible to be in church. It is possible to have been at church for the whole year and still not be on the same page with God. It is possible to have been even at Bible school and attended all the sessions, did all the encounters, encounter one, two, three, four, five, and (laughs) encounter six. Who knows what encounter six is? (laughs) Only Armand knows. (laughs) That is the encounter that I created. You better find out about it <laughs> from Armand. Okay, he will tell you. Some people are curious now about it. <laughs> what is this encounter? Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're saying it didn't happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, you will, you will find out from Armand. He will tell you what is that encounter. <laughs> Sifa is very curious now. <laughs> well, you will know. Maybe you can use your word of knowledge for now. Try to find out what it is. <laughs> yeah. So it is possible 
to have been through everything and still not be in touch with what God is doing. What is our prayer? Our prayer is that we will be on the same page with God. Everyone has eyes. Not everyone sees the work of God. Not everyone is able to recognize what God is doing. And last time I spoke about fathering and today I'm going to start from Abraham. And Abraham was this man who, le- who lived um, in an environment where people were worshipping idols. So he didn't even know God. And he never went and said, prayed, said God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Okay? God came and revealed himself to him. That's the first picture of grace that you actually see in the Bible. Where God chose Abraham. Abraham never chose God. It was God who chose him. And when God chose him, he, um, he, he did a very powerful thing. The first thing that, or one of the things that God did is told him to leave his country, to leave all of those things. But I'm going to focus on the fathering side. One of the significant things that we see in the text is that God decided to change his name when he made a covenant with him. And he decided to change the name of, of, he, of Abraham and Sarah. You can go to the following slides. Um, no, you can skip that. You can skip that as well. You can also skip that. Yes. Um, you can actually go to the next slide. So God decided to change the name of Abraham when God made a covenant with him. And the name of, the, 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 Abraham, uh, the name of Abraham basically means an exalted father or a father. But then the name Abraham basically means the father of multitude. And Sarah, the, the name that she had basically meant uh, my princess. Basically, it was almost like the way Abraham called her. But then when God changed her name, her name became princess or a woman of strength. The key thing in the change of their names is that the former meaning had a lot to do with the, who they were in terms of the immediate family or the influence they would have had in the, in the immediate family. God kind of took the same name and just expanded based on the vision that he had for I, Abraham and Sarah. Moved him from just being a father for his own biological kids but to become A father of nations. And Sarah, not just being a mother for for her own biological kids, which they were all all of them concerned, but God decided to shift their names to a place of being a mother for the nations. A woman of strength. God wanted to use that strength, not only to impact a biological family, but to impact the nations. And in that particular verse, the Bible says, when Abraham was 99 years old, ooh, that's very old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. The next slide, please. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. 
I'll make you exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You may just come back to the previous slide. What is interesting is that in this whole text, this whole chapter speaks of the covenant, this agreement that God made with, with Abraham. You know, if I decide to make a covenant with Nyasha, that means everything that is of Nyasha concerns me as well. Everything that concerns me concerns him. My struggles are his struggles. His struggles are my struggles. His trouble becomes my trouble. You will see when David made a covenant with uh, Jonathan, the Bible says that David, or Jonathan took his robe and gave it to David. And he took his sword and gave it to David. And he even took his belt and gave it to David. There was an exchange. Later on, you can actually see how David went to bless uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of Jonathan's grandson. Decided to bring him to eat with him on the same table, even though he was crippled. Because of the covenant that he made with Jonathan. So in this moment, God was saying to Abraham, your people will be my people. I am wanting to start a nation. And you will be the seed that I will multiply. Out of you shall come out a nation that I'm going to have a covenant with. A nation that I'm going to call my own. A nation that will worship me. And uh, Sarah was going to become a mother. That, is, that was going to be a key in terms of the expansion of this greater family. God was saying, I am going to give you kids, but your responsibility isn't just going to touch your biological kids. Your life, the covenant I'm making with you, will have an influence even beyond your borders. But everything will depend on what you're going to do about what I'm doing. One of the key things here in this text is, you see, the Lord says in, in, in verse 1, it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, God appeared to him and said to him, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. You see, if you have a seed, and if the seed you have is corrupted, the problem is that the fruit that you're going to express from that seed will be corrupted. One of the reasons why if you go into a farm where they grew maybe fruits without chemical products and you get fruits that, were, that grew with chemical products, how they taste differently, the, the main difference is the fact that the seed aren't necessarily the same in terms of the chemical products. There is something that happens while the seed is planted. There is chemical influences. So basically God was saying, I am going to use you almost like a sample that I'm going to multiply a nation. A nation that will be mine. A nation that will worship me. And fathering, when God was saying to Abraham, there's going to be a father, God was saying, I'm going to position your life in such a manner that your life will be a blessing to the nations. In other words, I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing unto others. And I'm going to use your life as this open door through which I'm going to visit the nations. Imagine if you were to have 
this kind of conversation with God right now. God would come to you and say, well, I am about to start a nation. In fact, if you read the story of Rebecca, when Rebecca was pregnant, the Bible says that she had issues in her womb, but she had pain, and, and the Bible says she inquired of the Lord. And when she inquired of the Lord, the scripture says, God said to her, the two, the issues you're having in your tummy is that you, in you there is two nations. God did not say there is two kids. God perceived those babies as future fathers, as potential nations. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, some of you were not born. But you were in God's mind. And God knew that out of your parent, you were going to be born. 40 years ago, you were not there. Maybe 50 years ago, maybe your parents were not even there as well. But they were also in God's mind. Every one of us will have, the, will have people that will always have an immediate influence. And there will be people that will not necessarily have a very immediate influence. 10 years ago, most of you, I never knew you. You never knew me. But God in his plan knew that we were going to find ourselves in one context where we're going to influence one another. But everything that has caused us to be here is the different repositioning that we have done. Some of you, it was a geographical move you came to study. So with Abraham, God made this covenant so that he may become a seed. Fathering is about being a seed that God can choose to multiply. That God can choose to truly multiply. Even discipleship. The heart of discipleship is basically multiplication. Basically multiplication. Most of you are going home. What are you going to do about your time going home? What are you going to do about the people that you have influence on? Will you be influenced? Will you act as somebody that is willing when you when you are there, that you are able to multiply that which God has done in you? Or will you just go and sit back? I'm not necessarily saying go there and start, start a church, you know. <laughs> you can, if the Lord says. But what I'm saying is, don't go there and do nothing. Don't go there and be lazy spiritually. You can share hope with someone. You can pray with someone. You can encourage someone. You can do something. Because the father is busy. And he's busy saving his people. So the whole, this Christianity should not be a UCT thing. When you come to UCT, when you are this side, then you are spiritual and you love Jesus and you worship. When you go home, you take a break from Jesus. You take a break from church. You take a break from the Bible. You take a break from prayer. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. There is no such a thing as a holiday from prayer. So Jesus, I'm on holiday from prayer. So I've taken a break from you. I've taken a break from the Bible. I've taken a break from worship. I'm just, so, I'm just on holiday. I'm home. No, home is where God is. Amen? So I just want to challenge you so that you, you, um, you kind of think better in terms of, now look at what happened to Abraham, grandson. You know, after Abraham, it was Isaac and Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is this man that God's, whose God changed his name into Israel. Israel basically means prince with God. 
or power of God. And Jacob means a supplanter. And God, when God was about to birth this nation through this man, because out of his 12 came the whole tribes of Israel, God was still concerned about changing his name. God still changed his name from being a cheater or a supplanter. But God decided to give him a name as a prince with God. And I believe that's very crucial. You may say, well, that was just a name. If God wanted to do it, he didn't really need the name. Well, God still thought it was important. The name sometimes is like a code. Okay? If you don't know the password of this alarm system, we go out and say, please go and put the alarm. You might, the ADT will come here. Maybe 10 ADT might, might come here because you will put the wrong code. Because the code that you're going to put in will send the wrong information and might bring massive trouble and we're going to have to pay the penalties. And that's the, thing, the same thing with names. If your name is a code that causes trouble, then there will be more trouble. If God has to multiply that, it's going to be trouble, 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 and it's going to be trouble making and trouble making and trouble making. So God changed his name. Called him Prince uh, with God. And let's see now what happened to Joseph, his son. Uh, the, the scriptures that we're going to read, Joseph is in Egypt. He's already having influence. Most of you know the story of, of Joseph. Who knows the story of Joseph? Don't be shy. Who knows the story of Joseph? If you don't know, you don't have to put your hand. Uh, Boothley, do you know the story of Joseph? You don't. Great. Caesar, do you know the story of Joseph? Okay, great. Great. I don't want to assume. I love it. Thanks for sharing. So Joseph was one of the... So Abraham had a son called Isaac. And out of Isaac came um, Jacob. And Jacob, his name was changed into Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons. And one of his sons' name was Joseph. He also had a daughter called Dinah. And then, at some point, his brothers, uh, they were jealous of him because he was loved by his father. They went and sold him to some guys um, that were taking people into Egypt. And then they, were, they sold him as a slave. When they went back home, they told their father that, well, your son Joseph is dead. He was killed by an animal. And then he wept for a long time. Now Joseph went into Egypt as a slave. He was serving there. And, and at some point, he was, um, uh, he was accused of wanting to, to rape you know, one, of his, one of the leaders in Egypt's uh, wife, Potiphar. Um, and then because of that, that, uh, that false accusation, he found himself in, in a jail. And from there, he started interpreting the dreams of the people that were staying in the same cell with him in that prison. One of them got released and became influential. And at some point, Pharaoh, who was the, who was the king back then in Egypt, had a dream. And in this dream, he saw different things that I don't want to go into details now. It's going to waste a lot of our time. But then, to cut the story short, None of the people around him was able to interpret the dream. The dream was speaking about basically the livestock and the life in, um, in Egypt. But then um, they told him that oh, there is a guy in, a in the prison who is able to interpret the dreams. Now, he said, okay, well, bring this guy there. And then when Joseph got there, Joseph interpreted the dream. And he said to him, well, this dream is speaking about two different times. There will be a famine time and there will be a prosperity time. So he, he, he advised the king to uh, 
uh, to spare certain things so that during the time of famine, during the time of crisis, they will have provision. And he, he suggested to him to have a man that will, do, that will be good at managing all of that. So Joseph ended up being this influential man in Egypt. And now his brothers forgot about him. And later on, because there were crises in other countries, his brothers went to Egypt. And when they got there, they were also buying food like anyone. But he was able to recognize them while they were not able to recognize him. And then he tried to kind of threaten them and spoke to ask them about their dads and everything. And at some point, that he asked them to bring their brother. And, at, uh, and, and before even that, he, he, he actually unveiled himself. He basically opened up himself to the brothers and he, he said to them who he was. Now, this is what he said to them. Let's go on, to that, on that verse. That's the verse that I'm going to go to. So it was not you, he said to them, it was not you who sent me here. But God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, that says the Lord, uh, that says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Joseph basically said to, to his brothers that God positioned him as a father to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was the most influential man in Egypt. And this is a grand grandson of Abraham. What happens there? The Lord, you see God's faithfulness, God continuing the call. Abraham responded to the call, and God instructed him to teach his children to keep the covenant. And then later on, we find that one of his grand-grandson is busy fathering a man that is not of Israel. An Egyptian, an African man. One day I'm going to give you a sermon about the place of an African man in the Bible. I've told you one day about it. But I told you, eh? Because many, of you, many people say, oh, well, uh, the, the African people were worshipping ancestors. I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so Joseph basically fathered this African man, this Egyptian, this Pharaoh. Right? And he, he, he had basically a position of influence. It doesn't mean he became his biological dad. No, he just played. He probably chose a language that his brothers could understand as well, could relate. Maybe in Egypt there were structural titles, but he had to speak to them in a language that they could relate. Because in, in some of Probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure, even in the Asian culture, even in African culture, sometimes you call someone Papa who's not necessarily your dad. You know, it's just because of the position or the function they play in society. So Joseph played a massive role in the life of, of Pharaoh. He spared the nation from crisis through God's gift. But this mandate was already given to his grand-grandfather. What am I trying to say? Your influence should not only be focused on the people that are your immediate family. If you're only thinking of yourself, if you're still selfish, there's nothing you can do with God. And you're not ready for the kingdom. The problem today is that we are very selfish even with the Holy Spirit. So I have, I'm going to pray so that God will anoint me, so that I will... I will fulfill my dreams and I'm going to do this for me and then I'm going to become this very important person and then I'm going to do this with what God has given me. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit will not send you to heaven. It will not send you. It's not a guarantee to go to heaven because you prophesy or because you have dreams, because you can preach, because you can sing. It's not a guarantee. That, those are very important. I'm not undermining them. Those are very, very important. It is possible for us to use what God has given us to manipulate. Paul even was warning Timothy in the last days. I mean, there will be people that will manipulate of others. And in French, you actually use the word servants of tummy. How many people today are making money because of their anointing? 300 rand, 5,000 rand to see the pastor. It doesn't mean those pastors were not called by God. They were called by God. They are just abusing of what was given to them. You see, every one of you, if you have a kitchen at home, you have a knife. But you've never killed anyone with that knife. The problem isn't the knife. The problem is in whose hand is the knife. Okay? So, what I'm trying to say is, God is calling us to be faithful stewards of that which he has given to us. If we were to think as fathers, as mothers, as if you were to think in terms of how, what God has placed upon you. So Joseph basically was fathering this political man, this leader. And it was part of that which God said he was going to do with him. Let's look at David. David was one of the best kings that Israel had in its history. In fact, they often say that it was during his time that Israel was very, very much prosperous. This man after God's heart, he made covenants with God in his prayer and he had a son. Now his son Solomon, you know, he loved women in, in a very crazy way. I mean, he had concubines. You know, he had more than, I mean, almost like a thousand ladies. So I'm pretty sure if he had kids with all of, one, all of them, he could spend literally three years to see each and every one of them. I'm pretty sure he could go to one of them. So what's your name? <laughs> the following year goes, so what is your name? I know a guy, uh, one of my friends, uh, our, they own a school in my country. Their father had more than five wives. So in their family, there were more than 40. <laughs> more than 40. <laughs> so some of his grandsons, he didn't even know. They, they would go, so who is your mother? <laughs> that I'll tell you what he was. Um, well, yeah, he wasn't saved. So anyways, so Solomon, Bible says some of those ladies that he went to, other worshippers and the Bible says his heart was not as close to God anymore as his father David. In fact, he even built an altar with, with in Jerusalem where people could go and worship their gods, where those wives could worship their gods. And it, there was a lot of abomination. In fact, the trajectory of Israel's history right after his reign was just an entire mess. And God was about to, if you read in Judge, many times Israel will rebel and God will just, you know, bring judgment upon them. But what is interesting, let's go to that verse. When Solomon had already missed, this is what God did. The Bible says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my, my covenant, I'm speaking about the adultery and all of the mess that he did, my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David your father, I would not do it in your days, but I will tear it out 
of the hand of your son. Even in that, even though Solomon messed up in a hectic way, God held on just because of the covenant that David made with him. No judgment came upon the actual kingdom. God didn't want to do it because of the covenant that God made with David. How much more powerful that the son of David, Jesus, is the one through him. He's the one who shed his blood of the covenant through whom we have this relationship with God. All the judgment that was supposed to come upon us went upon him. The weight of sin went upon him. When Jesus went on the cross, he didn't go there as a sinner. He went there as sin. He became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. So this moment is a prefiguration of the messianic work of Christ. But this is in the Old Testament that there was a man who rebelled but because of the covenant of his, of his father between him and God that this particular kingdom, God did not destroy the kingdom because of the covenant of his father. So in other words, the people that we influence, they are things that God does not just because we are children of God, they are also things that God does because of how available we are in his hands and how much we fellowship with him. There are things that you cannot know until you become intimate with God. Until you become very, very intentional with God. I used to pray just like as a pastor's kid and everything. I went to church and I sang and I la 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 la, everything. But when, when I started seeking the Lord personally, when I started obeying God's instruction, when God would say, Matthew, now you need to take a little bit of a two-day without a meal, you need to pray. When I started, I learned to obey, God was able to tell me about more things. So, I'm not talking about trying to earn God's love. No, I'm not talking about that. We are already loved because of Jesus. But God is relational. God is relational. Moses, I always love the picture of Moses walking when he saw the burning bush. The Bible says when he looked at it, he heard the voice. There is always an element in the kingdom where you, you're going to have to be intentional. A lot of times there's many things that, we can, that cannot happen because of infancy, lack of responsibility, lack of being intentional. You know, that's why I believe in the kingdom, there are times where you act like a child, but there are also times where you, 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 you act like a son, like a daughter. You understand your responsibility and your authority. So David, because of his covenant, God spared the life of the nation because of the covenant. Um, and he didn't destroy the kingdom during Solomon's time, because of the covenant he made with David. And I found that powerful. This, if this is just a reality in the Old Testament. And let's just look at Elisha. Um, Elisha and Joshua. When Joshua conquered Jericho, you know the story of Jericho? Who knows the story of Jericho? Okay, great. Who doesn't know? You know the story of Jericho? Okay, great. Who else doesn't? Do you know the story of Jericho? Yeah. 
Great. <laughs> okay. Do you know the story of Jericho? Do you know the story of Jericho? What is it about? Is it a meal or what? The whole thing. Okay. Do you know the story of Jericho? Okay, you don't know. Okay, great. I love it. You know, one day, I went to a small group. And I sat in this small group. And I, and I was talking about discipleship and with all the passion. Then I actually realized one of the guys have never even heard the word disciple. And he's been at the church for more than six months. He doesn't even know how to read the word disciple. Maybe he knew it in his language. That day I had a moment. I realized, hey, sometimes when we preach, we assume people just know what we're talking about. So I want to encourage you, when you go home, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Go through Genesis. You're going to find all the stories that I've been, I've been speaking about. When you come to church, you're going to have some kind of context. What if what I'm saying is a lie? Okay? So you have to read. So you can come and tell me, Matthew, you say that, but where is this in the Bible? Maybe you say that, but the Bible says this. Matthew, I don't agree with that. You have that freedom to come and tell me you don't agree with me. I'm not God. Amen? Yeah. Your small group leader can come and tell you, no, you know, one day when Jesus comes, you're going to go through your window. Okay? That might be cool, but you must ask the person, where does this come from? Or maybe one day they come to a small group, the Bible says that all of you shall hit apples, and you will be healed. And then they bring apples in a small group for healing if you are sick. You're going to have, be able to, have to be able to, be, to challenge that. That's why we, people go in churches where they give them petrol. Now they drink. Because nobody has, be, has scriptures to, 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 to to stand against. We may say, but people are mad. They're not mad. They don't know. The, my people perish for the what? For what? For the lack of their knowledge. Okay? Jericho. So the story of Jericho. So Jericho is this city when the Israelites were, go, were going into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. God said to them that they had to march around that wall seven times. And then, and, you know, and then after, uh, after, afterwards they had to kind of scream and when they marched for seven days and seven times, and then on the very last time as they screamed, the Bible says that the wall fell down. And then they were able to walk into um, the city. You can find that in the book of Joshua. Uh, actually, you can just read the whole book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, 2, 3, 6, or 5, and 6, you'll find the whole story there. Now, when they got into Jericho, Joshua, in Joshua 6, verse 26, he, he cursed Jericho. He said, curse is the man who will try to rebuild this city. It's going to be at the cost of his son. Let's read that verse from, uh, this is when the, uh, Ahab, in Ahab's time, the Bible says, in Ahab's time, Ill of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of the firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gate at the cost of his youngest son, Segub in accordance to the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of, An of Nun. This is many generations before him. Okay? When this man tried to rebuild the city, suddenly his son died. They probably thought, well, he was maybe sick. Well, oh, no, oh, okay, grandson is that. But the problem is there was a curse on the land. Do you know most of our countries are in a mess? Because the people who were fathers of the city they mess. Now the generations are in mess. Right? So Joshua cursed the land and the land couldn't flourish. Now Elisha, 
who was, who knows Elisha? <laughs> I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume. Do you know who Elisha is? Sup? Okay, great. Congratulations. <laughs> okay, my friend, do you know who Elisha is? Okay, great. Um, do you know who Elisha is? You know the name of his mother? Okay, great. <laughs> Melusi, do you know who Elisha is? Okay, congratulations. My friends, I need to, I need to do a recommended book, recommended book that you need to do. When you go and you're going to have to do a book report, Bible school, Bible report. All of you, I need to take your names. When you come back, I'll ask you, Genesis, what did you read? Do you know Ahab? Do you know Noah? My friends, please. The, challenge thing, the challenging thing is we don't have a lot of time in services. We have only 45 minutes. So it's very difficult to cover on entire stories. So what would work is I want to encourage you to learn the discipline of reading the Bible. Do you know if you read 10 chapters a day, in almost a year you would probably be able to read the whole Bible. So I want to encourage you. Don't be lazy with the Bible. Many of you spend hours with YouTube. Hours with YouTube. Okay? Read the Bible. It's great to watch. I also watch people who speak, like preaching on YouTube. Great. But they preach because they read the Bible. They cannot be reading for you. Start reading. They can only inspire you. Okay? So get from here. So now Elisha was this prophet. And this guy, he became a prophet while he was following this other prophet called Elijah. Um, massive influencer. One day he called upon the fire of God. It came down. A lot of miracles happened through him. And before he, 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 this guy didn't die, he's one of the few people in the, Bible, in the Bible who didn't die physically. The Bible says that he was taken. And while he was being taken, sounds like a fake story, especially if you have never read the Bible, this story. <laughs> so I can't demonstrate how he was taken. I don't know if you want, I can't, I can't continue. I'm trying to go continue, but I'm still going down. Let me try. So he was going up and up and up and up. I don't know how he, I don't, so he, while he was going, his servant said, my father, my father, chariots of Israel. And it's horsemen, which is the language that you find a lot in, even in, in Exodus, while the Israelites were living from Egypt, speaking of how they, these guys used to fight in the army. But it's almost, he was basically saying, it's almost like he was saying, Elijah represented the word of the Lord coming to Elijah was basically the security of Israel. Many victories that Israel won, uh, even during Elisha time, came through the prophetic guidance from Elisha. And even Elisha in his death, uh, before he died, there was a, the king of his day went to him and also said the same thing. My father, my father, chariot of Israel. So Elisha received the mantle from, his, from, uh, from Elijah, a double portion, because he asked him, can I receive the double portion, the double-double? And he received it. And then when Elisha, Elijah was gone, some of the guys came to him and said, well, your, your prophet is probably on the mountains. It looks like Elijah used to disappear and appear. They used to go. It was like a norm thing. Said, no, he might have gone maybe in mountains. He probably hidden somewhere. He said, well, you don't have to go there. Then he said, okay, if you want to, then you may go. They went and looked. They, didn't, they couldn't find him. When they came back, this is what they said to him. The people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town 
is well situated. As you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring, then Elisha said, bring me a new bowl. And he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. The next slide. So he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death and make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. It costed a man with a double portion of the spiritual father to break the curse that was spoken by another man of God. Prophets aren't just people that are called to be entertaining in the service. What is your name? This is your cell phone number. No, 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 no. We need, we need a prophetic we need a prophetic that is in touch with the people. That is actually, that is actually, being, that is actually facilitating God's intervention in, in, the, in people's lives. In other words, we can only measure our prophetic by how much connected we are to people. You remember that 1 Corinthians 3.13? Even if I prophesy, if I don't have love, nothing. We can only measure how much we are all of these things by how much we respond to the actual need of the people. If how much we are concerned about people. So Elijah fathered this city basically. He, he just played God's role. He basically just was a vessel that God could use. To respond to them. Imagine you're living in a city where the water is, people are dying because of water. Do you know a lot of the troubles that we have in our nations are spiritual issues? They are. We can have theories. No, this is probably because people don't have dads. Or this is psychological analysis. No, we think the issue in this country, maybe a lot of people are not fully educated. So maybe, maybe we need to build more universities. Okay, great. You can build a lot of universities, but if you have people who have the heart of stones, they will still mess, they will still kill, they will still destroy. I'm not saying that's not important. That's very important. What I'm saying is God is everything. God the Father, the call to manifest them, God the Father. You see, the word of Elijah or Elisha wasn't just an entertainment. Who of you wants the anointing? Who wants the anointing? Huh? Do you want the anointing? <laughs> he doesn't want it. <laughs> Who wants the anointing? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Who wants the anointing? Who wants to be anointed? Okay? The, Holy... <laughs> the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to be powerful? Who wants to be able to prophesy? Who wants to be able to see visions? Okay? Do you know why? Who wants to be a good preacher? Who wants to be a preacher? Who wants to be a, 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 an influencer, maybe in the thing that you want to do? An engineer, or a doctor, or maybe a public speaker, motivational speaker? Every one of us wants to become something. And everyone wants to become great. Everyone wants to become great. It's natural. The question is, we should revisit fully our hearts. What is our motivation? Because if our motivation is not right, we can even use God 
we can try to use even God's opportunity to fulfill what we want to do. That's why you can find people with so much gifting but without a heart of God. The problem in this country is not because there is no prophets. There are many prophets who can even give people cell phones, number. <laughs> but very few are able to go and say, well, that thing, how does it look like living from the Father's heart? On a community level, how can we intentionally put a proper discipleship to reveal the heart of the Father? I celebrate your dreams. I celebrate everything that you want to do. But ultimately, we are called to do all of these things for the glory of God. You know why I'm saying this? When I grew up singing, there are times where I sang for my glory because I was still looking for compliments afterwards. I tell you, when I used to be insecure, oh, I tell you, it was hectic. After, the, after singing, when I was so young, I would, I would be there and, and I'm waiting for... That's, that's like, oh, wow, that was so good. And if no one did it, I was like, okay. <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. We all want affirmations. Do you know how many people get depressed because nobody told them they are beautiful? Because everybody wants affirmation. If you say you don't, you, don't, you don't want affirmation, you're lying. Every human being, there is a part of us that enjoys being celebrated. Just normal. Even Jesus didn't even do the miracle where he came where he, in his own village because of a damn belief. They didn't celebrate him. Okay? <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> uh, you don't read in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. Should I show you? Oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay. Oh, well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Okay. I'm going to give you the text. The Bible says that Jesus. Ah, oh, great, let me go for you. The Bible says that Jesus couldn't do any miracle because of the unbelief. In his own village, there was no miracle in his own village because of the unbelief. Because here's the thing. When, you, when people don't celebrate, often it comes from hatred. Okay? There is even many times the story of, I don't know if you know the story of Jairus. There was a daughter of Jairus that was sick. And the Bible says that Jesus went into his house. And when he got there, you know what he did? He asked everyone that was in the house to leave. And then he prayed for her. And she got healed. One day Jesus went into the synagogue. Lot of arguments. Lot of debate. You know what he did? He went out of the synagogue. And the sick followed him. The Bible says he healed them whole. As much as God is powerful, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible. It does not mean because of the unbelief, Jesus didn't have the power to heal. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. God can heal. God is sovereign. He's able. But the kingdom has its own principle. The Bible says God is in heaven. He can do anything. I don't necessarily mean if it literally means he didn't heal someone. Perhaps, I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but the scripture says, because of the unbelief, he didn't do anyone in his own village. Good assignment, maybe for yourself. Go, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because most of you are not reading, so I'm not going to read for you. <laughs> I'm joking. 
So I was just saying, it is very important for us to, to, to revisit what is your, your true motivation in terms of what you do. If God has to multiply you, he has to multiply a seed that is not corrupted. Amen? So, Elisha was able to respond to the need of the people of his day. And this is what Elisha did. And he healed. There was a healing that happened there. Let's look at the life of Jesus, the Messiah. Philippians 2, from verse 5 to 11. Who's got a Bible that I can read? Oh, I actually have a Bible here. I don't often have it here in front of me. So I'm going to read it. I love it what Paul says about... Um, maybe I need to get someone to read for me, but it should be good. This is what the scripture says. It says, have this mind. Speaking about Christ as an example of humility. He says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to grasp, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This Jesus that we follow, there is a sense of purity and holiness in the, in the nature of Christ's mission on earth. If we were to think as fathers, we've got to be thinking that you owe a generation your purity. You owe purity and faithfulness to God to a generation to come. Because you can only reproduce after your own kind. Do you know if you are busy with pornography, you're not just alone busy with it. You're an influencer. You could be able to impart that to the people you have influence on. So be careful of what you, you consume. You know, Jesus was the perfect seed to save the whole world. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he came like that. He came as a lamb. He came as a lamb. One of the, one of the characteristics of a lamb, a lamb submit. He just submit. When John saw him, he said, behold the lamb. Takes away the sins of the world. The thing is, if there is no a sense of a lamb in you, it might be still a problem. With the Holy Spirit on you, you must still be a bit stubborn. Paul says, do not even grieve the Holy Spirit. Fathering, revealing the heart of the Father. If we have to do it like Christ, we're going to have to revisit our motivation and the nature. Actually, the why we do what we do. I've seen people praying for hours they want to be anointed. And the reason why they want to be anointed 
is to find, to get influence, and to start getting money out of people. I've seen that. Because even if you're anointed to the, to the toe, even if the anointing starts here and it goes there, you're still a human being. You still have feelings. You're still a human being. But we constantly have to bring our hearts before the Lord if we have to reveal the heart of the Father. That's the way. Obedience is the way to revealing the heart of the Father and humility. Humility is not shaming yourself. Humility is positioning yourself for the glory of God. Jesus positioned himself in God's bigger plan to manifest his glory to the glory of the Father. What are you going to do when you go home? Will you choose to live for his glory? Will you choose to be an example? Or will you conform to anything? Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. How are you going to come back to your city? Are you going to come back worse? Or are you going to come back ready to impact the kingdom? Let's stand. I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you to um, to really open your heart to the Lord and and bring your motivation and to bring just your heart before God. I just want to challenge you to to just bring your sincerity before God and say, God, I just want to be like you. I want to live like you. I want to love the way you do. People in the world can only know God's love through God's people. And every one of us, as you will go home, you have an influence. Maybe you think you don't. You do. Because people observe what we do. I'm not saying we are perfect. We're not. But what God wants is us having a desire to live for his glory. To reveal the heart of the Father. And it all comes down to the thing that we decide to commit. Abraham had that commitment with God. David had that commitment with God. Elisha, all of them, they had a relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with God? Where are you at with Him? And what will you do of your relationship with Him when you go home? Now we'll have us to pray and bring our hearts before God. And I would like you to make a commitment to God. Either to read one of the books in the Bible that you know that you're going to read the whole book during your holiday. Say, God, I'm going to read maybe the Gospel of Matthew. Or I'm maybe going to read Genesis. And next year, I'm not going to treat the Bible the way I treat it. I'm going to be intentional. And besides that, you can even make your own personal. If you know to struggle with certain things, you can say, God, today, I commit to do this thing before you. 
I'm not going to do this thing anymore. I would love us to, to position ourselves before him in humility. In humility before him. Let's just put our hands up as if we're receiving a gift. Let's repeat after me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Today, I decide to give you my heart, my everything, my time, my holiday, everything I will do. Be the center. Be the center. Be the center of my life. Be the center of my heart. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to see things like you do. Give me wisdom to do things like you do. I repent of my negligence, of reading the Bible, of praying. And I, de I decide that from today, I will read your word. I will seek your heart. I will seek you, Lord. With all my heart. I would like you to pray now in your own words. Just, just spend just even a few minutes. Just speak to God. Speak to God. Speak to God.